All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on the 11th day of June, 2019. And I do want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel, and also like to encourage you to keep sending along your comments to questions for Taylor at gmail.com, questions at number four Taylor at gmail.com. We also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Today's sponsors are Novo Resources, RN Resources, and StrikePoint Gold. Before we get started with today's show, I want to suggest to those of you who might not have heard Richard Mayberry's comments last week regarding the topic of whether modern monetary theory will ignite the price of gold. Well, I just want to remind you that you can listen to that show as well as other previous episodes that you may have missed by going to jtaylormedia.com, jaytaylormedia.com. Go to the podcast page at that website, and then you can uh, tune in to all of the previous uh, all of the previous episodes. In fact, the one that we're doing live right now will be there tomorrow afternoon um, that you can hear if you've missed today's show. Uh, also, I want to let you know that the best place to go to pick up Richard Mayberry's excellent newsletter is earlywarningreport.com. That's earlywarningreport.com. I would also like to welcome all of you listeners who have learned to know about this show through the iHeartRadio syndication, which has begun passing along this show to its listeners. We have uh, guests on this show that I pick on my, based on my desire to seek the truth about what is really happening in the markets as opposed to what the mainstream media wants you to believe is going on. So we often have controversial figures such as uh, economist John Williams who will be joining me in the second half of today's show. John has long insisted that given the massive debt that America has entered into, we're inevitably heading into a hyperinflation. Well, John's hyperinflationary view is most certainly at odds with the vast majority of Wall Street pundits who see the massive debt that we've created as being a reason to fear deflation, not inflation. So we will ask John uh, how an increasingly indebted economy that decreases purchasing power can actually lead to a hyperinflation. And so I have titled today's show, How Can the U.S. Dollar Hyperinflate with So Much Debt? As I just noted, economist John Williams will be with me during the second half of today's show to discuss why he sees the growing insolvency of America as being uh, resolved by way of hyperinflation, uh, as opposed to a deflationary depression, which, you know, quite frankly, we saw occur with the collapse in 2008-2009. And in the past, John has said on this show that it will be the massive decline in the dollar that will pivot our massive debt problem into a 
uh, into an inflationary uh, situation. But most people feel that there is no international currency other than the dollar, and thus there is virtually no chance that the dollar will go into the dustbin of history, even though that has been the fate of all previous fiat currencies. When discussing the American debt problem, one of the key concerns of rational thinking thinkers has for years been the off-balance sheet promises of federal government for Social Security and Medicare. Gene Epstein will join me right after the first commercial break to discuss that issue, which will also be the topic he will discuss uh, at the SoHo Forum debate in New York City on June 17th. Gene will maintain that with the existing Social Security's $3 trillion trust fund, the system cannot add to the federal deficit any further. Opposing that view will be liberal Dr. Teresa Colducci. Uh, she's a professor at the New School in, in New York City. Of course, given the fact that the American empire has, since 1971, been able to print what seems like an infinite amount of money, it's kind of understandable why liberals have concluded that there is no limit to the amount of money that can be printed. And as uh, long as the U.S. military can have its way in forcing countries around the world to use dollars, it's hard to argue against the notion that the counterfeiting policies of the United States government can't go on indefinitely. So John Williams clearly thinks that the dollar cannot last as the world's reserve currency forever because the laws of nature will one day prevail over the manipulation by governments carried out to increase their power over the common man. Well, one person who I know reveres the laws of nature is Michael Oliver, who will acknowledge that market manipulation probably does take place, but he also believes there are limits to those manipulations. So I'm really pleased to have Michael with me once again, and especially today because uh, I want to ask him about the dollar, which, as I just noted, is the key to uh, John Williams thinking about hyperinflation. Welcome, uh, Michael, and thanks for joining me again. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Good to always, good to have you here, and it's always good to tell my listeners that they should go to OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com, to catch up with your services. Michael, just take 30 seconds or so to tell our listeners again what services you provide. There's two basic ones that I'm aware of. Well, since 92, we've provided, uh, started out with institutional subscribers primarily. We covered all four major asset categories, that be debt market, foreign exchange, stocks, and commodities, and with a global look, not just U.S. markets. Um, but then uh, a year and a half ago, we started our gold-silver mining report, which is a narrowly focused report, not quite so many reports per week, usually about two, including the weekend report. And we focus on gold, silver, and the miners, uh, like the GDX, GDXJ, miners within those ETFs as well. So it's a narrow-focused report, and it, it's much discounted in price. Our, our rates are on our website, olivermsa.com. Um, but the broader asset category uh, we've had since 1992, and we focus on all the major markets. They are, after all, interrelated. And so if you're narrowly focused on the stock market, you're missing something because it's, uh, it's getting helped and, neg- and negatively treated by other market actions. So you have to look at the out-your-side mirrors, so to speak. Uh, and speaking of which, your dollar subject this week is, is a big theme of ours now. In the last yeah, week's report, we, we focused on the dollar index because of the four categories, <clears throat> the major four X, like the euro and the dollar, which are, you know, balance each other off within the dollar index. The euro is like 57% of the dollar index. Uh, what they do has been, uh, for the last 10 months, nothing. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the euro has drifted lower, but ever so marginally, uh, so marginally you have to decimalize it. And the dollar uh, was up to 97 on a rally uh, in August of last year. And right now we're 96.60. So it's been 10 going on 11 months of, of weight lifting by the dollar. Uh, the tone has felt good. And so people who, who vibe off of the, the tone of the market day-to-day, week-to-week, and so forth, they've been lulled into this uh, dollar strength scenario uh, because the dollar refuses to break down and it inches higher here and there and, and then it gives it back up but it stays up so to speak mm-hmm. um, so it's the quiet one you know you know the story of the mass shooter it's all he's always the quiet one okay yeah well these four markets the t-bond market t-notes are strong uh, if not violent on the upside the stock market is volatile everybody's focused on every swing gold is uh, had quite a bit of recent violence to the upside in fact the biggest eight-day gain in gold in the last several years, mm-hmm. from the 1280s to 1340 in eight trading days straight up, uh, which was not a surprise to us. Um, so there's a lot of volatility in those big categories, but in, in the dollar index, it's, it's asleep. And we think it's the one that's about to topple a lot of other markets as well, cause movement in other markets. We think it'll be negative for stocks. We think it'll help retard the bond advance to some extent. Why? Uh, foreign investors are, have plowed into U.S. government debt because it yields something, right? <laughs> Other mm-hmm. debt markets don't yield yeah. anything, uh, Japan, right. Europe. So if you want to park your money and get some yield, you come to the U.S. Uh, but if the dollar starts to hurt you, then that goes against your position. Uh, you might still get lower yield, but, you know, you're giving away the principal. Uh, now, the U- U.S. stock market has been a favorite of foreign investors for a good while, at least a year, because uh, the, the European indexes are, are anemic. Japan is definitely weak compared to the U.S., we're the place to be. Mm -hmm. So you talk about a crowded boat, there's one, U.S. stock markets loaded with foreign investors and domestic investors. Mm -hmm. But if the dollar weakens, and frankly it's our view that the recent dollar pullback, uh, about 190 points, 1.9 points since the high of two weeks ago, if you drop a little bit further, and we're very specific in our weekend report, Mm -hmm. we think it could drop 10% between now and the end of the year. And for the dollar, that's a massive move. Uh, you know, yeah. The stock market, that's you know, not a big deal, but for the dollar, that's earthquake-type move. And I think it will shock a lot of people because the tone and the belief structure out there is dollar strong. And if that gets shattered, it upsets the underpinnings of many investments, uh, you know, like in T-bonds or especially the stock market. And we think, of course, that would boost gold, yeah. uh, which, by the way, has not been held back by the firm dollar. Since mm-hmm. last August, gold has gained a tremendous, almost $200, $180 off last August low, mm-hmm. whereas gold, uh, the dollar has not assisted it. Yeah. Imagine if the dollar now assists gold. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, uh, anyway. So yeah, it should be, very, should be very bullish for the, uh, for the gold shares, I would think, gold and silver as well, maybe silver even more so, eh? I think so, too. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so you can watch gold, watch the S&P, watch the bonds, and try to do your measurements and so forth. But right now we say watch the dollar index because that's where the ambush is going to take place. Oh, I mean, that fits very well with the, uh, the ideas that John Williams has longer term anyway, that the main reason, the main, uh, the main stimulus for hyperinflation will come uh, from the weaker dollar. Because if you look at the debt, debt is growing so, so exponentially, it's robbing the people of purchasing power. So the demand side of the economy is, is shrinking uh, to a great extent, Not, notwithstanding all of the hoopla that the Trump administration is giving us about the wonderful economy. I don't really quite buy mm-hmm. that. Do you? No, I, 
nor, no, nor do I. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, every politi- every president tries to. Obama did the same thing. Tried to claim oh, that he sure. had such a wonderful economy. It's all a lot of um, it's all a lot of BS, I think. But in any event, so uh, Michael, just uh, with a couple of uh, with a minute left or so here. What we've seen here essentially is a decoupling, it seems to me. I mean, normally when you have a strong stock market, you have a weak bond market as, as interest rates rise. But mm-hmm. here we're seeing, you know, we're seeing a, a strong bond market and a strong stock market, interest rates declining, which, you know, is, is the bond market trying to tell us something, that the economy isn't yeah. what it's all cracked up to be? I think uh, we, we also looked within the S&P this for last week, for example, the sharp rally from the low of a uh, week or two weeks ago. Uh, and if you do the measurements properly, uh, yeah, the S&P last week uh, from the low of the, the week to the high of last week's rally was up five-something percent. Nice move. NASDAQ yeah. 100, the former leadership index, was up over four percent. Hmm, mm-hmm. not as strong as the S&P. Meanwhile, you go out and look at utilities sector and consumer staples, you know, the people that make toilet paper and soaps and stuff like right, that. The, the boring you have stuff, to have. Defensive stocks, up 6%. Mm-hmm. So what's going on here? You know, how come it, the, the investors who are plowing back into the stock market, praising the upticks, how come they're going into the defensive sectors and not back into tech to the same extent? Right. Yeah, that's and how a good come point. they're still buying T-bonds, and how co- you know, et cetera, et cetera? How come gold exploded? You know, so there's too many flags out there waving that aren't cheering the stock market on. They're, they're internal right. warnings, external warnings, and we right. think when the dollar hits, uh, the warnings will get loud. Right. That, that could very well be. Michael, thank you so much for your uh, time again today Thanks, and Jay. for sharing your wisdom with our listeners. Always appreciate it and always uh, highly valued, I'm sure, by our listeners. So thanks so much. All right, folks. Well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Gene Epstein is going to be with me. Gene's been gone for quite some time. We haven't had him on the show for many months. Uh, He's going to talk about Social Security and why there are limits, actually, to the amount of money that can be printed to pay for things. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with Gene Epstein. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Novo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold Project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. Strike Point Gold, trading under SKP on the TSX and STKXF on the OTC, has a market cap of under $10 million. Strike Point is a new player in the Golden Triangle of BC and Canada. Focus will be on drilling the Willoughby Project in 2019. Prior drilling delivered over 20 meters of 25 grams per ton gold and 184 grams per ton silver. Recent receding glaciers have identified new gold targets. Neighboring projects have been acquired by Strike Point's largest shareholder, Ascot, Eric Sprott, and Skeena, round out the other top shareholders. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me, once again, Gene Epstein. It's been quite a while since Gene's been on the show, uh, but it's uh, really good to have him back. Uh, previously, he had been uh, t- spent some 26 years as an economist uh, for Barron's, and uh, he, had, he had written the economics and books uh, sections for the um, for the for the paper, I remember reading it every week. And frankly, I don't look at Barron's as much, Gene, since you were with us. But uh, I, I do I look do. at it for the statistics and so forth. But we should, you know, I, I do. I do actually uh, do a, an occasional column for Barron's dot com online. Actually, oh, okay. The column called, of that. They call it the Economist Corner, um, and uh, the guy who had been uh, acting editor in chief. Uh, took over that part of it, and he invited me to do a column. So I do that uh, only when I want to, though. So it's not okay. nothing like it used to be, and uh, and so uh, no big deal. But I might as well tell people if you go on Barrons.com and put in my name, you will see a series of columns under Economist Corner in which I am commenting on the economy. Oh, good. I'll have to check that out. I wasn't aware that you were doing that. Uh, of course, what I'm most aware of is is your uh, current activities at the Soho. Uh, forum, yeah, and uh, that's what I wanted to talk to you today about. Have you talked to us about uh, your upcoming debate there? Sure. Um, and I guess the uh, the the um, uh, the idea is that given Social Security's nearly three trillion dollar trust fund, the system can't add to the federal deficit. Yes. Uh, forever, I, I believe your opponent is going to argue that that's not true. That we can have endless amounts of uh, money created by the government to buy whatever we want, right? Well, it isn't quite. Uh, that extreme. Uh, <laughs> bear in mind this. Uh, no, she she wrote an article. This is a uh, professor uh, Teresa Gilarducci. She uh-huh. is a, a professor of economic policy at the New School, and uh, she actually wrote uh, a very uh, sensible book uh, of of it, basically of advice about saving and investing for retirement. Okay. She, she consults with uh, investment funds. She's a pillar of, uh, of, you know, of the intellectual community and actually a very nice person <laughs> apart from that. But, uh, so she write, writes an article in Forbes in which uh, she says in Forbes that, uh, that Social Security cannot add to the deficit, the payouts cannot add to the deficit so long as there is a nearly $3 trillion trust fund. Uh-huh. And, Oh, and I see. Okay. I should say, and so, so she's not, you know, perhaps you're thinking of the, the modern mar- market theorist. For uh-huh. all I, maybe she is indeed somebody who flirts with that idea. If we have a little bit of time, we could discuss that too. But, uh, and uh, maybe I w- I'll debate some of you of that ilk, uh, of people who are indeed advising Bernie Sanders. But, but she's taken a narrower view. That look, you got a three, a nearly three trillion dollar trust fund that they can that they're they're beginning to tap. How uh-huh. can possibly? How can the payouts possibly add to the deficit? And I should add that if you read any discussion, any news item in the Wall Street Journal, for example, uh, about Social Security's current situation, uh, 
they will talk about the trust fund as though it exists in Wall Street Journal. Talk about how well the trust fund is due to run out of money by 2032. Yes. Uh-huh. That's the current projection. And then it will have to pay 75% of benefits. And they talk about all of those things. But indeed, uh, the journal, uh, and, in, and in this case, Forbes, publishing Professor Gilarducci, is assuring us that we've got, you know, we've got these uh, assets in the trust fund at least until 32, 2032. So, uh, I, especially since I found that her book about uh, you know, how to save and retire, and especially since she's a very articulate person, uh, uh, if if anybody can convince you or me or the so form audience that there is a trust fund, then it's got to be her. Yeah. So but I thought I would invite her because mm-hmm. I have written over the years in Barron's that the trust fund is an accounting fiction. Yeah. Yeah. And no, so that's what I thought. I, yeah, I, I was always under the impression yeah. That they were just basically eating up using the money right now. That they don't set aside and invest it and uh, and nurture it so that it becomes worth a lot more into the future, but simply use it as a funding mechanism to um, uh, to finance current current needs rather than investing, setting it aside as an investment fund that would be there, truly be there for us. But but why would they have to, Gene? Because after all, we can we can create endless amounts of money. It seems <laughs> to most people, right? Well. Well, I don't know. Well, okay. Actually, now because you're, now you're, you're raising a more interesting question, uh, which is which I, I I don't know when you say to most people. Uh, now you're talking about the uh, the modern um, mark modern yeah. theorists, the MMTers. Right. And I forget the name of the uh, actually an, another a female professor out of Stony Brook, who's the most articulate and forthright. Uh, pusher of this idea, uh, and uh, she's, I think she's advising Bernie Sanders. Uh, I don't know if if the average, I think the average person does tend to imagine that the government finances its expenditures out of taxes and out of borrowing. Yes. So, uh-huh. and, that, and that the printing press is not a factor. And although, going back to uh, the, the, the terms of the debate I'm going to have with Professor Gilarducci, uh-huh. Wall Street Journal and the New York Times keep saying that there is a trust fund. Then, uh, then, then, how can there not be? Uh, and uh, th- so, uh, that's something that they do believe. I mean, that there's obviously, if you if you create a trust fund for your son, uh, and uh, and of course, if you if instead of creating a trust fund, you blew your entire paycheck every every week, but but you set aside a, a fund called. J. Taylor IOUs. Mm-hmm. That and uh, and they uh, and you know there's like a million dollars of the J. Taylor IOUs. You could say, son, I've got a trust fund for you, and uh, you can start collecting on it. And they turn out to be uh, uh, assets to him, but liabilities to you because you never saved any money. <laughs> he, he's just handing you the the IOUs, and you've got to fork over the money. Right, exactly. Well, as long as as long as Jay Taylor has enough uh, financial resources to make good on that IOU, well, that's fine. Well, that's the question. Yes, but but can but will that? But but since of course the government is now running huge deficits, then clearly as the government, I, I, I know I know about Jay Taylor's situation. We can nose into your situation a little bit more closely uh, right now if you want, Jay. But that aside, maybe that's just your per- personal business. But we know that in the government's case, we do know that they are running huge deficits and that 
when uh, when those uh, 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 treasury bonds are handed to the treasury, and they are liabilities, the treasury has to pay on them, and then dollar for dollar, it adds to the deficit in the same way that uh, that spending on the Export-Import Bank or on the government's wars adds to the deficit. Mm-hmm. And, and it, in fact, the, the Congressional Budget Office, the non-partisan Congressional Budget Office, hardly free market fanatics. Uh, they basically Keynesian in their in their uh, in their right. culture, um, but they they single out Social Security and Medicaid as especially adding to the deficit because it's those entitlement programs that are growing out of control. I mean, technically, of course, uh, you know, it's a pen- if the deficit is nearly a trillion dollars, then you can choose any kind of spending to, to say, well, that's what's, uh, that's, what's, uh, that's what's causing the deficit. But the real cause of the deficit from the, from the Congressional Budget Office's fairly uh, you know, straight-laced viewpoint is, of course, those uh, aspects of spending that are growing out of control, and that's the elder care entitlements, uh, principally Social Security and Medicare, although, by the way, of course, principally Medicare. But, but, uh, but, but the only reason why Social Security isn't quite uh, out of control is, that, is because, of course, it's, uh, originally there was no Medicare, not until 1965, and people had to pay for medical care out of their Social Security yes. check. Uh-huh. So that that's the only reason why. I mean, that was just a reshuffling. We can talk about elder care. It's 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 contributing to the deficit. So indeed, I've been told by sophisticates like you, you know, what are you going to be debating about? Well, uh, I think that it will be refreshing to hear uh, a sensible person like Teresa Gilarducci say it can't add to the deficit. Refreshing to hear her defend an article that appeared in Forbes and a, and a viewpoint that's defended in places like uh, the Wall Street Journal and, and the New York Times that there is a trust fund. Uh, and so that's what it's going to be about. I hope it will be a lively evening. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm flattered that you and your wife, Teresa, are planning to come. Well, I'm sure it will be a lively evening. So maybe you can summarize why the opposite side of the view then for our listeners, uh, why you think it might be a problem, even if, uh, if the professor thinks it's not. And she's got her $3 trillion safely stored away for all of us old guys. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Forgive me. There was a couple of negatives in your question. Uh, repeat the question, Jay. Sorry. Well, I mean, I mean, t- tell us what your view is then, and why uh, Teresa is not um, is not, is not uh, why why you disagree with her on that issue? Because well, she's, if I understand you, she's saying there's no. Don't worry. Be happy. We've got three trillion dollars uh, stored away yeah. for you old people as you're getting, you know, as you're as you're taking down your Social Security. Well, I, why I, is she I, wrong? I well. I think that uh, I think that her, her mistake is first of all to assume that, and now because this is going to sound a little bit grotesque, at least to uh, libertarians like you and me and to your audience. But I think the mistake is similar to the mistake the Wall Street Journal and New York Times make. They assume that if the government calls it a trust fund, uh, you're still there, Jay. Yeah, so, yeah, we're yeah. here. Yep, Sorry. good. So, uh, if the government says there is a trust fund. How can there not be one? Uh-huh. And, uh, and, I, and actually, you know, uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano likes to begin with this uh, quote, a uh, famous quote from Sir Thomas More, uh, said back in the, who said back in the 16th century, I'm going to lift that as well. Uh, if the earth is flat, could the parliament make it round? If it be round, could the king's command 
flatten it. But <laughs> so uh, that, but 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 in in our world, we still have that idea that if the government says there's a trust fund, then the Wall Street Journal has to duly report that oh. the trust fund will run out of funds uh, by 2032. Uh, well, it just just sounds to me like we've got a bunch of parrots. Well, we yes. got parrots. We got Democratic parrots. And we have Republican parrots, and they're yeah. all just basically parroting whatever they're told to say. It just seems kind of ridiculous. But anyway, I, I, I've, I'm looking forward to this debate because I know that you'll you'll do a good job, and I and I think she's probably a respectable, uh, a respectable person, very respected, and uh, it, it should be. I mean, your debates are always very civil and uh, very intellectually stimulating. I always enjoy them. Uh, and uh, Gina, is it sold out? Um, no, it's a, it's it, it's a, it, it will probably be sold out. It, we're, we're pretty much on track to be sold out by uh, by, by Monday, the day the day of the event, which is about, about what usually happens. But, okay, so so but people are listening to, people listening to this show in New York City area that might be able to go, they should go where to the, to buy a ticket. The the soulforum.org. Uh, let's continue. The soulforum.org. Uh, tickets are general admissions twenty four dollars, uh, twelve dollars for students. Okay, my uh, engineer is telling me we only have a couple of minutes left catered, here now. Uh, catered by my wife, uh, free food, and uh, and there's a cash bar, wine and beer, and soft drinks. Yes, it's always a good time. I always enjoy it. I'm really pleased to, that I'll be, Teresa and I will be going this uh, this next one. Um, so, uh, so Gene, uh, we've got uh, John Williams coming up next. Uh, I know that you know John Williams. You, yes. you and John have had your differences with regard yes. to yeah. uh, inflation. Yeah. We're going to be talking to John about John. John is worried uh, the, about hyperinflation, and um, you know, it, a lot of people are saying, "Well, how can you have hyperinflation? We have so much debt." We saw in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, of course, with the financial crisis, prices plummeted. They didn't take off like crazy. Of course, you, the Austrian school ar- argues that inflation is, by definition, increases in the money supply. So we saw a dramatic increase in the money supply with QE. Uh, but just in, in short, do you have any concerns at all about the value of the dollar? Because most people are saying, well, the dollar, it's the only currency choice there is. There's nobody else. No other currency can compete with the dollar. Would you hold the view that that that's true and that we have nothing to worry about in terms of a weak dollar anytime soon? Well, um, the, the anytime soon is, is the only kicker there. Um, it, indeed, I, of course, I completely agree with John Williams and, and, and of course, the Austrians to, st- to, to stick to the classic definition of inflation as mm-hmm. expansion of the money supply. Uh, and that's why I always just just put one, I would say just put that one syllable word in front of it to clarify what you mean, price inflation. So, uh-huh. so then of course there's that there's asset inflation which we've had, uh, yeah. but price inflation which refers to goods and services that are traded. Uh, I I do this segue this uh, connects very directly with the theme of the of the debate this coming Monday. I, I do I do agree with John about the risks uh, about price inflation and a falling dollar uh, about 15 years down the road uh, when 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 the uh, debt. Uh, is going to uh, ex- way exceed 100% of GDP, uh, and when uh, the, uh, the the disinflationary forces that I think are still at work, uh, the Walmartization of the economy, the uh, the, the the Amazonization, uh, the fact that we still are tapping cheap labor from abroad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that the goods the goods prices are actually been flat for the last 10, 10 20 years, primarily because of that. But 
but uh, but 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 a number of things are going to come to a head. The, the debt will be insupportable. There will be pressure to really run the printing press and the safety valves, which where I do think that that perhaps uh, Austrians and free marketeers overlook the supply side influence on price inflation. Uh, mm-hmm. The fact that disinflationary forces are still powerful in the world. Uh, because of the of the opening up of 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 the, of the world to cheap labor uh, in uh, in what used to be the communist bloc, plenty of potential to do, to open up uh, labor in China still, as well as in other Asian countries, as well as in Russia, uh, and so. But that I think will mostly be played out. Uh, in 15 years, and the debt then will rise, and there, that's where I do think that the worry and the risks are very serious with respect to a falling dollar, a Dow dollar death spiral, foreigners yeah. withdrawing from our debt, we're doing from the Dow. All so right. Great. Yeah. All right, Gene. Well, thank you for that. We're going to have to leave a go at that because we are out of time. It's really great hearing from you again and your, your thoughts uh, on all those issues, and we'll certainly look forward to seeing you at the... Uh, at the Soho Forum coming up on the, uh, I guess it's the 17th, is it? It's the 17th. This coming Monday, the, uh, April the 17th. It's 17th. All right, great. Well, thanks, Gene. All the best to you, and uh, we'll have to have you back again sometime if you're available. Sure. All right, folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. As I mentioned, John Williams will be with me. We're going to talk about prospects for hyperinflation and some other economic issues that John will have to, uh, to talk about. So don't go away. We'll be right back with John Williams. Oren Resources is a copper gold exploration company pursuing the world's next major discoveries. It has seven projects, including two active flagships, Committee Bay in northern Canada and Sombrero in southern Peru. This summer will be one of the most exciting times in Oren's history as the company turns the drill at Sombrero for the first time ever. The project's impressive surface results have identified Sombrero as an analog to one of Peru's biggest mines. Oren is also implementing cutting-edge machine learning technology to unlock its highly prospective gold belt at Committee Bay. Visit OrenResources.com and subscribe to keep up with the company's busy year ahead. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again John Williams. He's the economist John Williams, who's been on this show uh, many times in the past. Uh, he is the editor of an excellent newsletter that I subscribe to called Shadow Stats, and the best place to go to sign up for John's letter, it's a very reasonably priced letter, by the way, is shadowstats.com. Uh, John is uh, really known as an independent, well, he is an independent economist, and that means that he's not being paid to tell lies. Uh, he's being ta- paid to uh, to seek the truth, and that's why we really love to have John with us. He has views that are outside of the mainstream, for sure, uh, but views, I think, that are well-founded based on uh, on the logic that he uses and and, and the statistics uh, that he uh, that he gains, and uh, and then without having that need to spin them a certain way to make either Republican or Democrat uh, party look good, John just simply uh, tells us what he believes uh, the numbers are telling us. Thanks for joining me again, John. Uh, thank you for having me, Jay. It's always good to have you with us. Uh, I want to talk about hyperinflation today, and and I, you know, I've titled it a show hyperinflation with so much debt. How can we uh, how can we get to a hyperinflationary uh, economy? And of course, you have expressed the the mechanism that can make that happen in spite of all this debt. It's uh, a dollar that is lost, that confidence is lost in. And I want to get to some of those factors uh, a little bit uh, a little bit later. But I'd, I'd like you to you know we hear all this great all this great hype about how wonderful the economy is. The Obama administration did it as well. Um, the Trump administration and I think all the Republican parrots essentially are saying the same thing and I hear them every night on Fox talking about how wonderful the economy is and how Trump has to be reelected because everything is so wonderful. I have an idea that you don't quite see it as being as wonderful as Mr. Trump claims it is. Could you give us sort of an overview of your thoughts on where the U.S. economy is right now? Sure. It's, um, it's uh, a little off bottom. Um, if you look at the headline GDP, which is a broad measure most people look at, um, the economy peaked in the uh, fourth quarter of 2007, then it plunged into uh, 2009. And the way they, they, they refer to the economy, that's, that's your recessions, the plunge. Then you have a recovery uh, where you get up to the pre-recession high, and then once you go beyond that, you're in an economic expansion. That's how the different terms are defined. Uh-huh. And if you believe the headline numbers, the uh, GDP, and this is adjusted for inflation, is 25% above its uh, its pre-recession high. Problem mm-hmm. is, uh, there's nothing else that's showing anything close to that. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a minute, but just to give you some examples, uh, we look at uh, industrial production. That's maybe... Uh, Three four percent above its pre-recession high, and that's due to the strong oil production uh, that we're, we're now seeing, which is a plus for the U.S. economy. Uh, but at the same time, the manufacturing sector, which is the, the dominant area, a uh, big big element of the economy, never has recovered. It's still five percent 
uh, below hitting its, uh, its its pre-recession peak. We've had we've had 137 uh, months uh, straight of no economic expansion in the hundred-year history of industrial production. You've never seen anything like that. Uh, you look at the construction sector, the housing sector. Again, uh, these are areas that have not recovered uh, um, at, at all from. Uh, Against their pre-recession high, or at least not significantly, they're not that they're not close to the pre-recession high, and I can uh, contend that most business you see on Main Street USA uh, have seen similar activity. There are all sorts of gimmicks that are in the GDP that uh, help give you a strong number. Um, in fact, you look at this uh, the, the headline number that they came out with for the first quarter, um, up around uh, uh, 3.1 percent, I think it is at the moment. Absolute right. nonsense. Uh, and I'll, I'll give some. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little leeway here to the government because they had the government shutdown, which uh, disrupted a lot of the numbers. Uh, so I think you're going to see some major adjustments there. But consider that the consumer accounts for 72 percent of the uh, the GDP. Mm-hmm. And in the fourth quarter, the, the consumer created 68 percent of the GDP growth. The first quarter uh, still accounted for 72 percent of the GDP but only 20% of the uh, GDP growth. The, the average guy is not, uh, not, not making it. Um, the problem here recently has been the Fed, but there's a, there's a greater problem in the background. Um, the, big, the big problem was the banking collapse uh, back in uh, 2008. The Fed came and did everything it could to salvage the banks. Instead of letting the banks fail and restarting the system, which I think might have been a little healthier in terms of the economy, but the Fed mm-hmm. saved the banks at all cost, uh, and included in that cost was not stimulating the, the economy in its normal way. We've never had a real strong recovery, uh, at, at least again not Main Street USA and a lot of a lot of basic industries. Mm-hmm. The, uh, what we're seeing now is that the uh, economy is slowing down again, as they're officially mentioned, as they're officially reporting it, and that's uh, largely tied to the Fed trying to reverse. It's uh, salvation actions back in 2008 by raising interest rates. Uh, it, it tightened up consumer liquidity. The, the markets, the economy, gotten used to virtually no interest rates, and all of a sudden you've got rates jumping, uh, doubling in, in, in a year. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it hit consumer liquidity hard, and you're beginning to see uh, in the headline numbers, which are heavily gimmick. I'll tell you that the economic data uh, overstate economic uh, uh, reality. Um, even allowing for that, we're now seeing uh, we're now seeing things that uh, suggest a, a absolute un- unfolding recession probably be recognized by September, and I think the Fed's going to be easing uh, sharply by that. Consider the employment numbers that just came out. Uh, headline jobs growth of seventy five thousand. That's yeah. nonsense. It was it was that that was it was zero net of the prior month's revision. The only reason you're up seventy five thousand. In um, April, or excuse me, in May, was that they revised May downward by seventy-five thousand. Uh, um, you don't have this outside of a recession or going into recession. Mm-hmm. On top of that, and this is this is where it gets really hairy. Um, all this is back in an environment where the real economy had not fully re- recovered uh, when the Fed decided to to, to tighten up. Uh, you, you, they play inflation gimmicks with the GDP. Uh, the inflation 
generally is understated. Uh, and against the GDP, it's about two percentage points in terms of what they use to, to deflate the GDP. The effect that has is if you're, uh, the numbers are looked at net of inflation. If you uh, understate inflation that you're using to deflate the number, that tends to overstate the real growth. And sure. um, pick out that two percentage point uh, uh, bias in the inflation. And what you'll see is that uh, since the uh, uh, since economic crash in 2007, there's really been, you, you hit bottom in 2009, but very little uh, recovery. In fact, it's uh, so flat it almost looks like it was a, a deliberate two percent uh, try, trying to try, trying to bounce it back. Mm-hmm. So what you're what you're facing here is a circumstance that's not only going to require the, the Fed to ease, which I think they're going to do, and um, I, I think the markets are coming around to that viewpoint. But if you want to get the, the, the system uh, back to whole, get the economy buzzing along, having people in a happy, productive uh, position, you're also mm-hmm. going to need to have some uh, economic stimulus, tax cuts for Main Street USA. You're going to have mm-hmm. to have... Uh, a government spending the public works projects that are being suggested are, would be the type of thing that, that would help there. But there, there, there you run into a, uh, a brick wall, and this is where we begin to get into the issues of the hyperinflation. Right. How do you finance it? Sorry? How do you finance it? I mean, so I'm, I'm thinking as that, you're talking that, here... That's uh, question. <laughs> and that is... Um, we don't know with the current budget deficit right now uh, running well above the GDP, and I'm and right. including excuse me the debts. The, the debts owed by the government is growing faster than the GDP. It's more than the GDP, and I'm including in that uh, the treasuries that are in the Social Security fund. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how the Treasury funds the Social Security. They issue them Treasury debt. They don't have to pay that off till they actually need the cash, and they. You know, take an interest or whatever, but that's a, that's a, that's a real gimmick. Can you put it in there? Uh, right now, what the government owes in formally in treasury debt is greater than the GDP. Well, um, there was a time if you go back, uh, I think it was two thousand nine, where uh, Standard and Poor's uh, downgraded U.S. Treasuries. Uh, their concern at the time was not the long term insolvency of the United States, which we have, and what I'm going to be getting into momentarily. Um, you had people in Congress uh, debating a spending bill, and there's some talk of maybe uh, uh, triggering a default to catch everyone's attention. Mm-hmm. What those ratings mean is uh, it's a risk of uh, a default in the next uh, in the next calendar year, uh, and uh, that's virtually zero for uh, U.S. Treasuries. Always has been, but as soon as somebody mentioned the word default. That was no longer zero risk, and they, they had to, they had to downgrade the treasuries. Well, what yes. that did was it, it um, uh, caused uh, Alan Greenspan to make a, a comment, which I uh, greatly respect his uh, making because he outlined what is uh, the big issue here. Uh, he wasn't he was no longer Fed chairman, but he said that the uh, uh, risk of uh, the U.S. Uh, defaulting on its debt was zero because. Well, its debt was in dollars, and we could always print as many dollars as we want. Uh-huh. That's absolutely true. Yeah. Now, if you can, um, you look at uh, the latest financial statements published by the uh, U.S. Treasury, prepared by the GA- GAO, um, cover note from uh, Secretary Minchin, and uh, he, he says that the 
current fiscal circumstances are unsustainable. They're absolutely unsustainable. Uh, Fed Chairman Powell has indicated the same. Uh, there, there's no way that we can go forward here and have a solvent U.S. Treasury, a solvent country, without a major overhaul of, uh, of, our, of our finances and how we're handling, handling the system. If you look at that uh, financial statement that you get from the Treasury, mm-hmm. uh, you, you look at where, where they uh, have the unfunded liabilities yeah. for the programs such as Social Security Medicare. Right now, we need in hand that net present value, not future cash, but to cover, to cover the system now to keep it uh, solvent. We need something like $100 trillion in hand today in today's money. Um, total treasuries around a little over uh, $20 trillion, $22 trillion, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, $22. Uh, included in the, in the $100 trillion. Uh, there's just no way that I can see the uh, current system political system, making the needed changes, particularly to Social Security and Medicare. Politically, that's impossible areas to touch. I can't see them doing it. They've got to do it. It's got to be addressed or we're we're faced with long-term insolvency. And um, the the, the longer they hold off, the the worse the circumstance gets, the the more insolvent the country is long-term. And the financial markets, the, the the foreign exchange markets recognize that. All right. What, what I'm suggesting here, I think that I think the Fed's uh, easing is is in play. They might even go back to quantitative easing. This is this is yes. unfolding as a very negative economic circumstance. But right. again, to get the system back whole, to do the fiscal stimulus I was talking about, um, it blows it blows the deficit even further apart. The financial markets, at least the the Global markets will not stand for uh, the dollar being so, uh, uh, so so debased, and you're going to see very heavy selling of the U.S. dollar, which spikes inflation, spikes oil prices, um, and as you get increased flight from the dollar, and we've seen some of that as people fear that the that maybe the Fed's going to uh, ease and that's that's going to um, uh, it's going to hurt the dollar, right? And it's right. inflation and up gold prices higher, right? We're right, John. Well, well you know, uh, Michael Oliver, who was with us during the first segment, believes that we are. Uh, his technical analysis is suggesting, and I don't haven't heard many other people talk about it, that we are on the verge of a weak dollar. He thinks we could see a ten percent decline before the end of this year. Well, but in terms of the dollar confidence, I mean, I'm thinking, what gives people confidence in the dollar now? It seems to me it is uh, it is still a dollar that OPEC requires its sales of oil to be paid in. It is a military that goes around the world and requires countries to use the dollar for all kinds of purchases. Um, and, I mean, to, to bite the bullet, none of these guys are going to do it. It seems to me that nobody is going to do it until they are forced, until the laws of economics, the laws of nature force a change. Do you see it that way? I mean, where, who's going to have the, the fortitude uh, the intestinal fortitude. Which which leader in the in America is going to have the the guts to really come out and and tell the American people the truth to to, to say what you're saying? Uh, you know, Jimmy Carter tried that in a very small way years ago with the cardigan sweater, and he you know that was that made him extremely unpopular. So, do you see do you see an, an eventual 
you know, a catastrophic event that forces us back to some sort of sane monetary policy? Well, that's, uh, unfortunately, I think you need a very severe financial crisis to force it. I don't see the politicians doing it willingly. If they could, let me just finish the thought there, because if you you start uh, very heavy fiscal stimulus here, you're going to see massive flight from the dollar. It's, you're, you're, you're inviting a much bigger deficit. What you need to do to work that, and this requires the politicians in Washington on both sides to get together and uh, do something other than uh, bicker with each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, if they don't, if they can do so, and if they can put forth a credible plan for bringing the uh, the fiscal circumstances under control once they've got the economy stimulated again. I think yeah. that can be sold to the global financial markets. It can be sold to the currency markets. Um, but they have to have a credible plan. I'm not quite sure how they do that, but you've got creative people and uh, there may be ways of, of approaching it. If you don't have a credible plan, I don't think the fiscal stimulus is going to, uh, going to work because what you're going to see is generally flight from the dollar, uh, flight to gold. Um, gold is your of wealth. It does uh, cover actual inflation, as you know. I've, um, I've estimated the difference in uh, inflation between uh, the way it would have been had the government not changed its methodologies uh, to lower the headline inflation, so they could cut uh, uh, cost of living adjustments to Social Security and people on federal pensions, and to boost uh, the taxpayers into higher tax brackets all artificially because of the way they define uh, the, 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 the CPI. And, uh, uh, John, is, just, uh, we just, John, we're just about out of time already, so I, I have just a couple of questions I want to ask you uh, before, we, before we leave. First of all, where do people go if not the dollar? I think you said gold, but is that realistic? How about the euro? How about uh, the yuan? How about uh, some other things that are going on between Russia and China that are building their gold reserves tremendously. So where do people go? Because one of the biggest excuses for the dollar is there's nobody, no other currency out there with the liquidity into which you can, you know, you can do global business. That, that can change very quickly if people uh, decide that the dollar is a lost cause. And you start seeing the dollar, uh, dollar plunging 10%, which I think is very, uh, very, very easy. Um, it, it doesn't uh, become uh, much more difficult to go down 20%. The people living in the United States, they, they, don't, they, they don't see it, except they're going to start seeing higher inflation uh, that comes from it. Um, yeah. But the, uh, you, you mentioned some uh, uh, good options there. Uh, yeah. Nobody has uh, blown apart their future as badly as we have in such a grand scale. I mean, the dollar is the dominant currency in the world, but uh, my, my, my goodness... Uh, we need a hundred trillion in hand to, to uh, stay solvent going forward. Forward, we don't have it. Have no chance of getting it. We've got to reorganize it. We don't have the politics to do so. Something's got to be done to stabilize the circumstance now, or you're going to have a run on the dollar and you get that run on the dollar. Uh, okay. The then it could. Right it, 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 it could feed on itself, John. We're just we're really out of time. Thirty seconds. Tell us what you feel the real. Uh, consumer price inflation is now not the two percent the government's using. What do you think? What is your latest numbers telling you it is? Uh, depending upon uh, the year you look at their changes, you're looking between seven and ten percent. Uh, when I talk to people in the field, I get a, 
a general response that they feel that inflation is understated by 4 or 5%, which would be more in that 7% uh-huh. range. But in terms of actual changes they've made, they've eliminated seven, uh, seven full percentage points of uh, CPI. Okay, so if we were using, if that was applied to the GDP, we would be in negative territory now? Well, no, the, the GDP, you have used different inflation there. And some yeah. of the things that are not legitimate for the CPI in terms of common experience uh, okay. have some legitimacy in the GDP because there you get substitution. People do buy, uh, if the price of steak goes up, they, they, they will buy chicken. As yeah. uh, Greenspan said, if you're, if, you're, if you're having your paycheck adjusted for inflation so you can maintain your cost of living, you don't want to have to buy chicken. But where people right. do buy chicken in the economy, you, you use the lower inflation. So it's a 2% right. difference. All right, John, we're going to have to leave it go at that. Unfortunately, we so much more to talk to you about. Uh, we're out of time. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Uh, next week, Ronald Peter Stofroll. He's the co-author and annual publication of In Gold We Trust. He'll be with us next week. Also, Dr. Quentin Henning to talk about Novo Resources and Michael Oliver as well. So until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.